This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Listening to the Breakfasters podcast for the week 6th to the 10th of February, the week we broke all the rules. Yes. Shooters Cart Martin is, is an activist, hip hop artist, and leader of the Earth Guardians, an international conservation group. He's speaking on the topic of why I sued the US government at the Sustainable Living Festival, which is presented by Sustainable Living and Thinking Inc., and it's on this Saturday in Fed Square. Shooters Cut, welcome to Breakfasters. Very happy I could be here. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure. So the topic on Saturday is why you sued the US government. You and 21 other US teens brought a court action against the American government. What was it about? So um, I am one of 20, uh, 21 youth plaintiffs that are holding the US federal government accountable for violating our right to a healthy atmosphere. So our grounds are within the US Constitution saying um, that the American citizens have a right to life, liberty, and property. Um, those three things are directly being violated when you look at the impacts that climate change is having on young people all across the country. So all 21 youth plaintiffs have unique stories and voices about how they're already seeing the impacts of climate change. And we think that we have the right to hold our leaders accountable um, for for their actions and for representing people, especially young people in the United States. And the, the, the court is taking it very seriously, aren't they? It actually seems to be having something something of an impact. Right. So if you look at when we first filed the lawsuit, it was challenged by the U.S. government and by the fossil fuel companies. Um, what happened with that is after being reviewed by two different judges, this motion to dismiss our lawsuit, to get it thrown out of, uh, out of the courts before we even had our day, um, before we even took it to trial, um, was denied. This motion to dismiss was denied by two different judges. And so now, hopefully, um, as soon as possible, we're trying to get it through really quickly. We are going to have our chance to take this to the U.S. federal courts. We're very excited about the four momentum on this. Some people might have seen you on Q&A last night, but others might not be familiar with you and your organisation, the Earth Guardians. It was mm-hmm. founded by your mother and you became active in it when you were very young. So tell us about that organisation, how it began. Yeah, Earth Guardians began as an accredited high school in 1992 in Maui, Hawaii, when um my mom saw a need for really helping engage young people and using their passions to create change to protect the environment um, in Hawaii. And then it uh, kind of expanded globally. You know, when, when I first got involved with Earth Gardens, I was about nine. Um, I've been involved with activism since I was like six, though. So it's, I have this kind of long <laughs> legacy of, of, of being a part of something a little bit bigger than me, trying to be a voice for, for an entire generation, you know. Um, you're of Aztec heritage, and you often say that influenced your activism. Mm-hmm. How was that? You know, I think um, growing up as a little kid alongside learning how to, you know, spell my name and, uh, <laughs> and, and walk, I was learning, you know, a lot, just a lot of teachings from my father that, you know, all life is sacred. If you look at indigenous cult- cultures and tribes all over the world, there's a very deep connection to the earth and to the natural elements and understanding that as people, as human beings, we have a responsibility to fight to protect that which gives us life in honor of our ancestors for future generations. So I think those kind of teachings gave me a greater sense of... Um, I guess, space as, as a person in the world and, and uh, an identity as, as far as who I am and what my purpose is here in the world. How are you feeling about what your role is in the world now that you have a climate denier as the President of the United States of America and possibly Scott Pruitt as the head of the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, a man that sued the EPA not that long ago? You know, I think particularly looking at Trump um, as, as a U.S. president, I think um, what we've seen is, is immediately when he was um, inaugurated and put into office, you know, we had over 3 million people worldwide standing in the streets and, and demonstrating and, and resisting, saying that, you know, we are not going to carry out the, the, 
the the orders of, of a tyrant in the United States that that is not what the future of democracy looks like that is not what the future of the United States looks like and that is certainly not the legacy that I plan to leave for my children and for future generations um, I think that Trump poses a really serious threat to the environment to our climate um, threatening to pull out of the Paris climate agreements those are all very serious things but I really have seen the mobilization uh, from people all over the country already you know huge riots in, in, in huge demonstrations um, when he put, uh, proposed the the Muslim ban, which he put through for a couple of days before it was thrown out. You know, if you, if you look at that, I believe that Trump is going to bring a lot of people together in the way that there has never been urgency. I think if Hillary would have been elected, it would have continued business as usual. People would um, have stayed um, in kind of a sense of, of disconnection still to, to politics in a lot of ways. And this is waking people up now more than ever in the United States. So that I think Trump has a lot of uh, resistance coming his way. I was watching a documentary last night on um, ABC in Australia and it focused on some of the coal mining towns or former coal mining towns in America, the kind of rust belt where Mm -hmm. Trump got a little bit of support that kind of got him over the line. And these were people that had formerly voted Democrats and that um, were finding it hard to see a link between, I suppose, global warming and their livelihoods, like they didn't want to kind of make a link between coal and mm. and global warming. How do you think you're going to bridge that gap between people that are just trying to basically kind of get by, I suppose, right. and can't see the greater good? Right. I mean, so that's a really difficult thing because a family that relies on um, the coal industry to, to provide jobs, you know, that that is a really serious thing. And in, in, in talking about just pulling out of fossil fuels can't happen overnight, mm. you know. Our, the entire infrastructure of the United States is built on a fossil fuel economy for, for, for the most part. So transitions need to be made incredibly quickly and incredibly seriously when we talk about transitioning to a renewable energy economy where every single job and more jobs that has been created by fossil fuels can be replaced by putting in renewable energy infrastructure. Instead of building pipelines, we need to be, build, be building power lines. Um, you know, And if you look at the, the greater good and if you look at the environment, sustainable energy and renewable energy isn't just about the environment it's actually about economy so i went to sweden just recently and they are one of the quickest growing economies um in the world and they have you know over 50 percent renewable energies um and how and how they get their energy now and they're going to be 100 percent renewable by 2040 and that's in their economy is still growing so so it's incredible to see examples of how we can continue to pursue these these different alternative methods of creating energy and creating jobs. We don't need fossil fuels. This is dead dinosaur and plant matter. This down in the ground. I mean, we've been making energy the same way for a really really long time. I and mean, if we can send people to the moon, we can find smarter ways to produce energy that can last us long term, provide jobs to all the people that need them all over the world in Australia, and really make a difference for the climate and the environment. Um, the climate situation does seem increasingly dire. Not that long ago, we were talking to Naomi Klein when she was out here in nice. Australia, and she was suggesting that in order to prevent catastrophic climate change, we need to move to a fundamentally different economic and social system. Do mm-hmm. you agree with that? I do agree. I think a lot needs to shift. You know, on Q and A, I was challenged the other night in saying, and in, in um, Helen Andrews said that you should. Um, you know, suing the government's a bad idea. You should go out and with your friends and, and protest and, and get people to understand about the environment. What you have know, you been doing for the last ten years? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and what I what I what I would respond to that is that yes, protesting and, and, and speaking in the streets and, and using your voice as, as young individuals in in a more grassroots sense is very important. And we've seen people for the last ten years of my life, I have being a part of the climate movement, doing exactly that. But obviously, it's not 
good enough. It's not working fast enough. Um, the state of our climate is unraveling very, very quickly. Um, that at, exactly as, as Naomi Klein, you know, suggested that we need an entire shift in the way that we do um, that we that our politics functions, that our economics functions, and, and that our societies function. Where we need change at every single level. We need businesses on board. We need politicians on board. We need people on board. This is a whole system shift that that relies on every single human being, you know, doing their part this this is it's, it's a daunting problem and people are lo- already losing their lives all over the place this isn't just about economics and politics this isn't just about energy in in the environment this is about people's lives and the survival of future generations about the legacy that we will leave behind the way that we will be remembered by every generation to inherit this planet after we are here the event is entitled why i sued the u.s government it's on at the sustainable living festival presented by sustainable living and think inc this saturday at fed square at three o'clock we've been talking to shooters shooters Martinez, thanks so much for coming. Thank you for having me. You're in Chipola. We are back from holidays. We're on holidays. Yeah, we're this on our, holidays, yeah. This is our yep. second week back, and yeah. we've had a really nice time. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> While I was away, I did. I felt like I had like three holidays. While I felt I was like away. you too, following you on Instagram. Oh, did you? Yeah. I went on many adventures. One of the adventures I went on was a. I went to Scenic World. In Sounds fun, doesn't it? I've mm. been there. Have it you? It is fun. Right, hold, hold it for no, a second. No, I don't know anything about it. But what, when, you, when I say scenic world, what, what comes into your mind? What would you I think? I know, like spectacular views perhaps? Yeah. Some sort of theme Yeah, ride. like a theme park maybe, ride thing. No, maybe like a... A train that you ride around, yep. and you see all these things. Yeah, pretty much got it in one. Got it, like scenic. But to <laughs> okay. call it scenic world, it's like it makes you think theme park. Yes, and then and that's what they they think they are. Ah. But come on, they're not. I think they are. I think it's clever marketing. I think they know exactly what they are, and they thought we could call ourselves scenic ride, or we could make it scenic oh. world. Is the problem that there's only one ride? No, there's four. They've got well, right, there's a couple. There's there, there is a few. There's the uh, Skyway, so uh-huh. it's a, like a cable car that. And this is all in the, in the Blue Mountains, and it is stunning. And I oh, yeah, thoroughly okay. enjoyed myself. Let's get my get it straight. Also, with that. you're putting this in the context of being in the Blue Mountains. When Which you, you see nice. it as a scenic world, you don't go, oh, that oh, must, yeah, that must so be Universal yeah, Studios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah I thought you meant like it was, you know, out, some outer suburb somewhere, you know, like no, Robbie's no, it's World in, or Bobby's World. Or yeah, yeah. It's Down in the Blue park. Mountains and it's, <laughs> it's stunning. And uh, when I went, I wasn't disappointed with oh. the scenes. It was very, very beautiful. So what's your beef then? Well, listen. <laughs> <laughs> Stop interrupting. <laughs> What's your beef? <laughs> so the, my beef is the way the staff um, conduct themselves uh-huh. and they get a little bit too excited. <laughs> and the, the way, sure, it might be marketing. So they have the Skyway, uh, the Cableway and the Railway. So they have a, a train that's on an incredibly steep angle that goes down, down the hill, and that's fun. Ooh, because you know, it doesn't go fast or anything. It doesn't go very far either, does it? No, it's like 10 metres or something. Yeah. <laughs> like it's over in 30 seconds. Yeah. But it's it's cool to do. And then um, so they have, yeah, the Skyway, which is the cable car, and the Cableway, uh, two different cable cars, but one of them has a, like a glass floor, so that's stunning. And then also on top of that they've got the walkway. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> Check out our walkway. Yeah, we built a footpath in in the forest. <laughs> I can't remember them including the walkway. Yeah, it's in there. Wow. It's in there. If you click on, if you go to the website and you click on railway, also try our walkway. <laughs> Are you saying the path. walkway is just a path? Yeah. Yeah, it's but it's beautiful. It's a, and it's a lovely walk, and it's 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 handy, you know, to have a. It's got the wood planking and stuff, yeah. and I, I like that through to appreciate the the forest. Uh, but the other thing, I, like when we got there, I was with um, with Kath and her parents, and uh, we arrived, and they're very the staff there are very woo. Welcome to Scenic World. And so we walked out. And a <laughs> Have you seen our path? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they have. There's a guy. So when you drive in, they go, G'day, guys. Have you, um, have you got a ticket yet? And we're like, No. And he goes, Yeah, cool. There's parking over there. So it, it was a footy field over, you know, across the road. There's parking in there. And you can, um, and the, you can actually get tickets while you're over there. I'm like, Great. That sounds awesome. So we go park the car, then we go up, and they've got this little white tent marquee thing set up, and there's two young guys in there, and just standing there, and they've got the cash register and F-Boss machine, and, you know, that's it kind of thing. And they're just standing there with their mobile phones playing music, and we walk over, they go, hey, guys, how you going? What's your favourite song? What's your favourite song? I'm like, um... And it's like there's, you know, how can you, A, if I pick my favourite song, that's not going to be everybody's favourite song. And I'm with, I'm with Cass' parents. I'm with my, you Why know. Why do they want you to know your favourite song anyway? Oh, so they can play it on their, on their phone. He goes, I can play any song. Like, I just play it. Oh. Yeah, it's that kind of. This is making me uncomfortable. Come on, let's, guys, we're having a good time. Could What's you imagine if song? this happened to you, Jeff? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all like, oh, boy. Yeah, it's a and little then bit too zany. Yeah, and he doesn't let it go. What? It's upsetting me. He doesn't let it go, right? So it's not like, oh, yeah, no, that's cool, mate. He goes, no, no, come on. I've, I've got everything. I've got, I've, got, I've got it. I can just put it up. What do you want? What do you want? I'm like, So oh. did you tell him what? What did you say? I said, Bob Dylan. Just play some Bob Dylan because I know that Kath's parents love uh-huh. Bob Dylan and I know Kath loves Bob Dylan. So. You don't really like Bob Dylan, so that's pretty generous. That, I, I'm aware. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I uh, so they started playing that, and I think we got about uh, you know first few lines into the song before we managed to buy our tickets, and then we got our tickets. And we went, all right, cool. We walk over, and then the they rest just of left the them st- behind. Like, Bob Dylan, Dylan. yeah. Like, oh no, another family come up by that stage. Hey guys, what's your favourite song? <laughs> Here's some Ariana Grande. <laughs> <laughs> so, and all the staff is like that. It's like, and so you go, and obviously this is like on like first week of January and it's a beautiful day and so it's packed. There's a lot of a lot of people there, but it's like, that's cool. I'm happy to stand in line and, and stuff. And I think sure. most people in that situation are aware and they're happy to stand in a line for a few minutes but it's like the the management there have said to their staff, people aren't happy lining up. You've got to keep them entertained. Keep them entertained. <laughs> At all costs. At all costs. <laughs> Whatever it takes. So it's just like this staff walking up and down, like the lines going, hey, how's everyone going? Woo. God. Hey, who wants some music? And then at one stage, one guy goes, he walks up and he goes, 
He goes, does anybody know Gangnam Style? Who oh, knows no. Gangnam oh, Style? Does anyone know Gangnam Style? Stop it. Are there any Koreans here? No. <laughs> oh, my God. You're oh Korean. You must, you must love Gangnam Style. You must love- <laughs> oh, are there any Koreans here? Uh, <laughs> Usually some Koreans can help me out with this. <laughs> Come on, guys. Who knows Gangnam Style? And is, then- oh, my God. What did he do? Don't tell me he did the dance, did he? No, no, no. Just I think eventually, like a lot of people that were not engaging in this, and I think he there was a few people at the front that couldn't escape, and I think there was like a young child that was like Whoopa Gangnam Style, and then it was just there were, and then I think someone else told them they were playing a bit of music as well, and then other stuff where they're going, Woo, hey Barry, aren't we having a good time? Like the you know trying to be on. A breakfast TV show or something, just being super excited and stuff, and it's like, th- there's no need for this. Like, I've got Yahtzee on my phone. I'm quite happy <laughs> <laughs> just like, to get here and play Yahtzee. You're in the Blue Mountains and you're going on a walkway to look at the views. You think you'd be trying to get into a kind of, you know, at one with nature, yeah. beautiful mountains? Yeah. That's a very good point. Gangnam style. None of this. Don't go doing horse dances on the bloody walkway. <laughs> I just wanted... Did you like Sandy Quilt? Yeah, I did. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Excited to be joined by Hayley Inch. How are you going, Hayley? Hello! I'm very happy to be back here for the first time for the year. Yeah, we're excited to have you, mate. <gasps> Particularly Excellent. given you've come more or less directly from the Sundance Film Festival. Pretty much, yeah. I, I, I flew back in the other day, still slightly jet-lagged, so you all just might get a bit of, you know, on-running sentence excitement with me right now. <laughs> so. You might get that from us too. <laughs> That's pretty much me standard anyway. But, yeah, no, so I, I, I've just come back from uh, Sundance, which is held in Park City in Utah. It's up the top of a mountain. Uh, all of the film goers are competing with the regular uh, skiers who come to ski in the town every year. Uh, and, yeah, it's very exciting. It was, of course, um, set up by Robert Redford back in, the, back in the 80s. I still have not spotted Bob, which is oh, very does disappointing. Does he hang around there each He year? does hang around the festival and he does. Oh. I have heard stories of you'll be sitting there in your session, you know, they'll introduce the film, the lights will dim and then all of a sudden the empty seat next to you will be filled and you'll turn <gasps> and it's Bob. But no, alas that has not oh. happened to me. <laughs> but in any way, there's just famous people floating around the street. There are. I've realised I'm very, very bad at actually spotting famous people oh. in the wild, so I didn't really <laughs> see anyone, like, slipping over in the streets into a snowdrift or anything like that. But the great thing about Sundance is pretty much every single film is, like, followed by a Q&A session and they bring the director oh. and they bring the talent up and yeah, it's it's it, it's pretty great for seeing a lot of interesting filmy people up and close and personal. Can any old Joe Schmo go to Sundance? Pretty much, like it's obviously a lot easier. I think if you're in the industry, yeah. but like honestly, uh, the, the the way they've set things up, it's very easy for you as a punter to just go up there, you know, uh, hire you know 
book into a ha- into an Airbnb, you know, do the waitlist system, buy tickets early in the morning from the rush queues and that sort of thing. Like um, last year was my first year and I really winged it and um, waitlisted for basically every film that I wow. wanted to go see and I got into everything. So it's yeah, actually right. and the and the volunteers are gorgeous. Like it's a very very well run festival. Everyone's mm. very cheery as Americans are and they all is, just want to help a, you out. Is there a yeah. particular I mean, when when it was set up, is there a particular purpose to it? Is it like a theme or does it try and do anything particular? So it's always been very, very focused on particularly American independent cinema and independent cinema in general. So you kind of look through the program and it's, yes, it's very much emerging filmmakers or filmmakers who are maybe like a couple of films on, like kind of on the precipice of really breaking it big. Um, lots of uh, world cinema. Um, I think that that's always really downplayed in terms of Sundance. I think people always think, ah, oh, it's just American you know, alternative films. It's like, no, 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 heaps of world cinema, lots of documentaries. Um, There was a really great stream this year called The New Climate, which were all films uh, around environmentalism and climate change and what we now need to do with our increasingly changing world, which was fascinating. So Sundance has always been kind of really into just, like, uncovering what the next big thing in in film is going to be or, or the next themes or the next director's best talent. That what are they going to be? What were the highlights? <laughs> what are they going to be? Well, my favourite film, and I think a lot of people's favourite film, was a film called Call Me By Your Name by Italian director Luca Guadagnino, who you might have seen his last film, A Bigger Splash, which came out last year and had Tilda Swinton and Ray Fiennes in it. Call Me By Your Name is this beautiful queer romance. It's adapted from a, a, from a novel. It's got Army Hammer and a brilliant young actorly fine in uh, American French actor uh, Timothy uh, Chalamet Um, and it's essentially about this uh, teenage boy, he's about 17 years years old, it's set in summer in Italy, his father's an archaeologist who like brings on a a student every year to help him out with his work over summer and this year it just happens to be Army Hammer who wears increasingly less clothes as the movie goes on because it's very very hot and I feel like Guadagnino was just like going hey everyone let's all develop a sexual obsession with Army Hammer and I'm like I'm on board with this um, but it's just it's beautifully written it's beautifully acted there's this extraordinary monologue that comes towards the end of the film that's performed by um, a really great actor Michael Stuhlbarg who people might know from the Coen Brothers a serious man he's one of those great that guys and um, it's one of the most extraordinarily beautiful <laughs> sequences I've ever seen performed in a movie ever you will laugh you will cry you will be extremely sexually frustrated and it's just <laughs> <laughs> it's just a beautiful, beautiful film. And I think Guadagnino is, he's hes a guy. He's hes going to be very interesting. I believe his next film he's embarking on is a remake of Suspiria with Tilda Swinton. Wow. Yeah. And, and can we expect to see these films in Australia? And if so, will they be in festivals or will they be general distribution? I'm imagining something like uh, Call Me By Your Name will definitely get a distributor run. I'm going to try very hard in this segment to talk only about films that I think will probably right. either get an Australian theatrical release or will see them at festivals. I kind of, you know, poked a lot of my industry friends before coming on today going like, so have you heard anything about who's got who's got this? And, you know, whispers and that sort of thing. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to try very hard to only talk about things that we all have a chance of seeing at some point. Mm. And what else? What okay. else floated your boat? 
Um, well, obviously, you know, the, uh, being Sundance, it's American indies and often American comedies. Um, there were two great American comedies I saw, one called The Big Sick, which is Kumail Nijani's, uh adaptation of essentially how he met his now wife. They'd been going out for a couple of months and then all of a sudden she got really sick and fell into a coma and that was the first time he met her parents in the hospital oh, over yeah. her comatose body, which sounds really depressing, but, you know, Kamal is a really, really talented comedian. Um, this film is directed by Michael Showalter, who's a comedian from the state, Wet Hot American Summer. It's produced by Judd Apatow, and it's got a great comedic cast in it. Well, um, uh, Zoe Kazan plays um, his his partner. Kamal plays himself. And there's a lot of other great actors showing up, um, especially uh, Holly Hunter, who I love in everything. I don't understand why she's not in everything. She's amazing. She just puts in this gorgeous, fierce performance as this mother, like, extremely protective of her daughter. And strangely enough, Ray Romano does an amazing performance. Really? If you ever thought that he was capable of such a thing, he he does this really quite lovely, nuanced performance as as Holly Hunter's partner in it. On the dad. As as the dad character. So, and and endearingly, he spent about five minutes of the Q&A after the film just praising Holly Hunter and saying how amazing she was. And, of course, everything was elevated because, you know, she was in the movie, which I find adorable. So- <laughs> were, there any, were there any stinkers where we kind of had a lot of buzz around them that we might know of or you heard of and went and saw and went, oh, this is... This yeah. is no good. I must admit, I had a pretty good run. Oh. I didn't see anything that I really hated. I did hear there were very conflicting reports about Landline, which is uh, Gillian Robespierre's follow-up to Obvious Child, which I think a lot of people really, really loved. Um, Landline also has Jenny Slate in it, who was also in Obvious Child. And it was one of those movies, like, you, you kind of see this happen at Sundance. Like, these movies will premiere early on in the festival, get all of these ravey reviews, and then as they kind of, like, repeat sessions through the festival all of a sudden like the critical consensus all of a sudden starts turning Ah. so i definitely noticed that with that film um uh but yeah mostly i saw some really great things there are a lot of really great fun things one one of the other comedies that i I really really enjoyed and i must preface this by saying like i am the target audience for (laughs) movies where jack black sings has an accent and deals with some kind of moral quandary (laughs) so um the polka king which has the greatest logline of a film i've ever heard which is jack black is a polka king who also runs a ponzi scheme um was was uh, was utterly delightful basically if you're looking for like bernie mark 2 this is essentially what this movie is but i just want to watch bernie all the time i don't know what bernie is so oh so that was richard linklater's film and it was another jack black sort Ah. of like he's quirky and fun but oh no there's some big big moral thing that's going to come up in the movie so yeah so polking also has jenny slate jason swartzman our own jackie weaver who's like ginormously over the top as like his suspicious mother-in-law who always knew that something bad was going on and it's just one of those like really fun like almost out of control films where you just you're just waiting for the wheels to unspin and the way that kind of plays out is just really really fun and the the most amazing thing is it's actually based on a true story so it's based on this real the Pennsylvanian polka king who like fleeced all of his fans and he was actually at the screening because they've let him out of prison now and that seems um, to be the new thing like the wolf of wall street yeah <laughs> you've done your time come and yeah, hang come out, out with we'll make a movie about you and yeah one of the audience questions was how true was this and he stood up and was like everything 
Wow. Everything was trying. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. So, so that was really, really, really fun. Um, there are a lot of other great documentaries as well that I think will probably show up in um, festivals like MIF or perhaps like the Human Rights Arts and Film Festival and things like that. There was a really fascinating film called Plastic China, which um, was by the director of a Beijing Besieged by Waste. And it's about um, basically how recycling is a big business in China now and other countries actually import their or or export their garbage to China for recycling and it focuses on this little kind of like um, family run recycling plant where it's this um, uh, young man and his wife and son and he employs another family with a lot of children to also help him you know recycle all this refuse and it really brings up a lot of really disturbing questions about like even when we think we're doing the right thing in helping the planet because we are completely ignorant of the complete process it actually and because you know everything is a business as well and everything is driven by profits you know even things that we think are good things like recycling are actually like built on these you know really disturbing chains of want and sacrifice and so that was really really fun i I, yeah, we've got to go, we've got to go. But yeah, no, Sundance is a really, really, really fun experience and I really hope if you're a big film fan, like, make the effort, go out there, tromp in the snow. Um, or it's, if it's... not, we live it vicariously through you. <laughs> Hayley, we'll see you again in a fortnight. Thank you. So I caught up with my briefly caught up with my parents uh, during the the break. Um, I'd gotten back from New York. I don't know if I've told you guys where I went to New York. <laughs> I um, heard you became a vegan as well. Yes, I'm vegan for this month, everybody. Um, I'll mention more of that <laughs> later. Um, but when I um, my parents my parents live in in Albury and they'd um, had come down for the weekend and I'd caught up with them like the day after I or the day that I got back from America and they were around at my sister's place and I get there and they go and there was a, a blue like vintage suitcase and they went there you go that's yours and it was. Oh. All my belongings that they had gathered from the, that had been left over in the house as they're selling the family home. All you had was one suitcase full of belongings left. Yeah, it's well, it had been, you know, combination of quite a few years of, you know, getting rid of stuff over yeah. the years. Like I've been living out of home for many, many years, and Mum is not one to um, not, not keep a, on not to a hoarder. Not a whole, not of big things anyway, but certainly keeps hold of some small weird things. Like I tell you what, in this suitcase, there's a whole bunch of things that are like, why, why have you kept this? Why? <laughs> like what? Um, there's a a container with um, my first ever contact lens and all the stuff that comes. Oh with my it. god, that is like serial killer. <laughs> that is a no, bit but it's unexpected. Not my actual, it's not my my actual contact lens. It's just like all the stuff that I've got. It came in like this little, you know, Velcro um, bag kind of thing with the solution and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And I, I have no, I don't think mum knows what it is. She just goes, okay. 
She's just she thought it might come. I don't, I don't know what <laughs> might she come thinks. in handy. <laughs> I don't know what she thinks with that. Wow. But it's, but other things like newspaper clippings from you know stuff that I've done. But but of really kind of weird stuff like I've you know I've just been like in the leader or something like that. You go no, oh, this girl's doing a gig. But but like only random ones. It's not like she keeps all of them. It's just, not like a, she's been clipping everything that you do. No, not at all. Nah. It's just you know some basic one. It goes oh yeah, I'll put that in there. Um, but also just, uh, you know, and school reports and things like that. But also found my um, first ever, my storybook from when I was in prep or kindergarten, as they call it in New South Wales. It's it's quite, I've been reading it. Um, I bought it in to compare no. to your Harry Potter, the original oh, Harry Potter. Learning to spell. Learning to spell. You remember the name of it and everything. I yeah. <laughs> Still haven't heard back from J.K. Rowling. <laughs> Did you send it to her? No. No, I just for tw- people tweeted who, at her. <laughs> for people well, who weren't listening idea. to us oh. last year, that Sarah brought in uh, her anticipation of Harry Potter. That I wrote when I was 10 years old. That it was a novel, a witching novel, a witching school with a character in it called Hermione. Yes. And it was called Learning to Spell. It was such a great title. Thank you. But this isn't about me. This is about you. Well, I was sure. Let's make it that way. I was going to say, um, <laughs> this Geraldine's My Storybook, there's some similarities. Is there? Learning <laughs> Thank you. Well, I was so it's it's like the the teacher had written out sentences yeah, and you're is, copying them and drawing pictures. That's sort of what it is. Yeah. Well, no, I had I would write my story out and draw pictures, and then you would I would go up to the teacher, like everyone did it. You go up to the teacher to go, oh, what have you written there? And then you'd tell them what your story was. They were usually just one line, a sentence, and then she would um, translate it for yes, everybody like translate else. Translate from the baby debris. Yeah. <laughs> I yes. had great fun at the bike parade, for See? instance. Yeah. What was a bike parade? We had a bike parade. That sounds it sick. Was, yeah, it was great I, fun. Do you know? I do remember. It's so. It's funny reading these stories and having memories of of how the stories came about and yeah. what happened and stuff. So I do remember the bike parade. I remember, like, um, you know, you had to decorate your bike, and I was being like, oh, I hadn't got it done, and Mum was like, oh, I'll do it. And oh. you know that classic, you go to bed and you come out and it says, what happened? This is amazing. Yeah, and so, then you learn in life that no matter what, your mum will do everything for you. Well, Poor bloody that was, it was one time that oh. I was very lucky. Oh. But I do have a few um, questions. There's one here. Christopher yes. came to school. Yes. And you've illustrated this with a picture of some nightmarish-looking person. <laughs> what do you <laughs> mean? Is Christopher your... Your bad, your bad special friend. A couple of years ago, when all those kids overseas were killing each other, about that Slender Man. Do you remember oh, that? Yeah. that nightmarish Slender yeah. Man? Well, Christopher looks very much like that. He's immensely tall, and he's got arms that come out of his head. Well, that everybody did. Look at, look at. No, these, he seems to be menacing these two little children. So how, how do you know who is that's Christopher? Me, who that is, could be me. Who is Christopher? Christopher was. He lived next door, and he, and he oh. was like a couple of years. Maybe a year younger, oh. so I hadn't, wasn't at school yet, so got to come to school one day. Ooh, that's fun. That is fun. Mm-hmm. Life's a dream. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and the other one that jumped out at me is this last page, which just says, I like Pauline. Yeah. Okay. So Handsome. <laughs> oh, you racist, <laughs> no. right wing. I knew it. No, Girl, I'm just kidding. I'll oh, take it back, I'll take it back, I'll take it back. Uh, Pauline is my sister. Oh, God. Oh. Sorry, Pauline. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and there's a picture that I'd cut out of someone that I'd cut out of a magazine, and I I remembered doing this because I thought she looked 
like my sister, Pauline. And, and, but and she does looks, she? No, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing like her at all. But I remember finding this picture of this. Oh, she's... She's pretty and I like my sister Pauline, so it was just Aww. like, oh, I like, I like Pauline. That's really cute. And um, amongst these other documents you've given me here, um, oh, a, yeah, a high school report. That. Yeah, I'll Just read, read this bit out. Please. Her good-natured personality should help her to maintain a positive attitude. Oh, yeah, I've got a good-natured personality. Yeah. I would still write that in <laughs> a report now. They've they nailed that. Can I tell you my... Um... We should write each other end-of-year reports. Oh, yeah, oh let's, imagine let's, that. Let's, yeah. let's not do that. <laughs> Can I tell you my... Um, I'll read you my favourite story yes. out of the whole thing. Please. <clears throat> a long time ago, last night, we went out. <laughs> The end. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you're, you're woken up with a hangover and going, last night, oh, God, the end. A you should sell it as a ago, movie deal. Last night. Yeah. Well, you went out. <laughs> the end. <laughs> I don't know what like. I was thinking that day. Anyway, that was my favourite. The end. The end. Thanks, Jess. <laughs> you are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. Uh, I had a lovely chat with a young, um, how old is about seven or eight years old, about a lovely young boy, about a dream home. So we were just, uh, this is at work, and we were discussing, he was just telling me things. He said, we have a cubby house at work. He goes, that's my shop. And I went, oh, yeah, what do you sell in the shop? And he goes, houses. I'm like, oh, cool, real estate agency. He goes, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> what? He was yeah. like, you it as a shop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He goes, no, I've got houses in there. And I said, oh, cool, what kind of, you know, I couldn't be bothered walking over to the shop. So just to tell me what's what's in your, what kind of houses are you selling? And he said, oh, there's one, it's got a pool. I'm like, oh, here we go. This is... Tell me what your dream home is, right? I go, okay, there's a pool. I'm like, what else is there? And he goes, um, I said, what about the, ha- you know, how many rooms are inside? And he goes, there are five master bedrooms. I'm like. <laughs> oh. I just even know what a master bedroom is. I, but there was a few surprises in there. <laughs> <laughs> like master bed. I'm like, oh, that's great. Five master bedrooms. And he goes, yes. And I said, how many bathrooms? And he goes, one. What? One? Five. And I said to him, like, you five master bedrooms and you've only got one bathroom. What's going on there? And he goes, oh, but wait. There are, you walk in there, it's one door and you walk in and there are five bathrooms in there. So there's five. Oh, he's got I five, said, oh, five in one. What? Yeah. So, so there's five showers and five. He goes, yes. And I oh, said, what it's about? Like a, it's like a change room. Yes. That's <laughs> that's what went into my mind. But I think he had something more lavish in his mind. Yeah. And he said, and if you want to have the door open, you can, or you can. T-. And I'm like, kind oh, of what house is a bit privacy. <laughs> This is a dream home. I said, what if you want privacy? You know, I don't want to be having a shower in front of... And he goes, oh, no, there's doors. You can shut the door if you want. I'm like, oh, that's great. Love having an option. Um, (laughs) What about... What about... uh, What other rooms are in in the house? And he said, oh... um, He said, there's in the... I said, tell me about the kitchen. He goes, well, there's a playground in there. And I'm like, that... That's genius. It is genius. A playground in your kitchen. And, he, and I said, what, so you can just, you know, have a bit of a play while you're waiting for things to cook in the oven? He went, yeah. 
How great is that? That is God. genius. I reckon I'd cook more if I had a playground in my kitchen. Yeah. yeah he's an up-and-coming real estate developer, isn't, isn't he? This is when things took a turn, though, because... Um, <laughs> No, it's it's not bad at all. I just, you know, you can look at it in a different way. But he said, and also, it's a farm. There's a farm. I'm like, oh, hello, there's a farm. And he goes, "Um, that's filled with puppies. And I went, puppy farm. Puppy farm. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds good in theory, but let's ban puppy farms. But I didn't didn't discuss that with him. I just went, oh, that's great. It could have been a farm of puppies that were well loved. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what he had in his mind. But I tell you what, though, I, I, this kid should be writing those blurbs that um, the real estate agents put out. You know how they're always just full of that terrible oh, real yeah. estate, yeah. you know, jargon. Yeah, um, renovators' dream, all that kind yeah. of stuff. When yeah. I was a kid, all I wanted in my house, all I wanted was a slide that went from the first floor to the second floor. Yeah, and you I had don't floors. Woo, yeah. Fancy. I know. <laughs> Did you not? <laughs> no. Dirt. No, well, you had. Oh, a second story. Oh, yeah. yeah sorry, I think you didn't have floors. Like, oh right. <laughs> yeah, no, we had just carpet. Felt blessed yeah, to have yeah. some carpet. Thank yeah. you. Uh, and did yeah. you have any? Um, did you consider having like a fireman's pole? No. Uh, that's. Uh, I remember as a kid thinking that would be the coolest way to be able to get down. You know, yeah, like that. Your parents yeah. would call yeah, you for dinner and you'd busters. come down the. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. No, mainly just the slide. And I always wanted a bedroom that you went into it and it was just an entire bed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so you crawled into the bedroom and it was just a giant bed. Wouldn't that be awesome? That was just, you know, you'd have a whole separate area. No, I think I've I've seen that in those, you know, when they do those stories on the housing shortages in New York and they show some hipsters, you know, crammed in some tiny little apartment that's so small. It's just one big bed. It doesn't actually look that good. No, I would be amazing in my mansion with a slide. <laughs> would you have a pool? I'd like. To, I like the idea of a pool of lemonade that you could swim in and drink at the same time. Ooh, so, yeah, I think that might you? be a bit gross. Oh. Yeah, I wanted that when I was a kid too. Did you? Yeah. I mean, but it'd be sticky. Oh, no, I didn't really think it through. Every time we used to go to the pools, me and my sister would be like, "Imagine this was lemonade. You oh. just swim and drink it at the same time." <laughs> that is pretty great. You just have your mouth open <laughs> the whole time. That is pretty great. I'll give you that. Um, I, I did watch a, one of those, fan, you know, those probably on Nine Life, those shows where they have all, look at our lavish. Yeah, love that. Lavish mansion. I watch it forever. There was a guy on it that um, had a, a spa filled with champagne. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's like my dream. Yeah. slightly more sophisticated. <laughs> Isn't it? That's like the adult in the yeah. group. <laughs> they wanted that when they were nine. And God damn it, we're going to have, have it. it now. But that's kind of gross, isn't it? Like a spa. I always think of what spas as a bit gross anyway because they're bubbling away. Yeah. But it's like it would be heated, wouldn't it? Well, maybe so not. like heated? Heated champagne? It'd be disgusting. Yeah. Well, Lots I don't bacteria. think it doesn't have to be heated. I don't well, think. Oh, yeah. It'd be cold horrible. Yeah. Well... Maybe uh, it'd be bubbly though, like extra bubbly. bubbly. That'd be nice. That'd be well, maybe it'd be fun to get in, but not drink it. Yeah, not drink it. Not and drink you could it. surprise someone by hiding under the water and then going pop, like you were popping out with the. You were popping out. Yeah. With you were trying, with trying to think of the person who would actually be impressed by that. <laughs> That's a very good point. This has been a podcast oh. from Free Triple R, one hundred two point seven FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.